Hello there. I'm Marianne Rees with an update to my previous program, Senior Centric. It's expanding to become more inclusive by hosting guests and sharing conversations that all humans, not only seniors, can relate to. Our topics and discussions may evoke compassion, empathy, motivation, laughter, and yes, perhaps even anger. But each is a part of the human condition, and each is of human interest. That's human interest. The first Thursday of every month from 2 to 3 p.m. on San Marcos' own true community radio station, KZSM. I sure hope you'll join us. Welcome and thank you for joining Human Interest today. My name's Marianne Reese and I'm your host. In the studio with me is Becky Duvall Reese and our producer Rob Rourke. Uh, our guest today, Marla McGee, who served 28 years as the director of the Hayes Caldwell Women's Center, unfortunately is unable to join us today. But we're certainly looking forward to, to her doing so and, and sharing her many experiences while serving as director over those 28 years, serving abused women, their children, and actually a few uh, gay men. Hmm. So we, we wish you well, Marla. So what Becky and I decided to do for today is kind of expand on our program from last month when Dr. Shirley Ogletree was our guest. And we basically started with a very successful movie, Barbie, and discussed it on air. So Becky and I again decided to expand on that uh, discussion of Barbie. And what we decided especially about is having read a multiple reviews about Barbie, we re realized that the reviews kind of ran the gamut from something wildly euphoric to mildly conflicted or disturbed to actually sheer outrage. <laughs> For example, uh, the Wall Street Journal's reviewer Kyle Smith quipped that Barbie, and this is quote, contains more swipes at pat patriarchy than a year's worth of Ms. Magazine. The conservative commentator Ben Shapiro posted a, a lengthy video complaining that he counted the use of the word patriarchy more than 10 times in the movie. And Becky, did, did you read something where there might have been more than that? Yeah, <laughs> a conservative congressman, I think he said, and they use patriarchy 62 times. <laughs> that sounds like it. <laughs> well, there, I did also read where Ted Cruz, a Republican from Texas, Senator, called Barbie a Chinese propaganda. And then the rep from Florida, Matt Getz, called for a Barbie boycott. So I think these, these few examples of many kind of give us the idea of what we decided to discuss today. And that's clearly the, those that were angered or conflicted or outraged by Barbie were certainly uh, doing so because of their perceived negative <laughs> reaction or negative uh, statements about patriarchy. So that's what we're going to talk about. And again, with the time given and the depth of all the elements to this issue of patriarchy and we can only kind of give a cursory overview, but, but it should be fun and, and hopefully uh, enlightening in some aspect and maybe cause you to think about doing a little research on your own or certainly reflection. So uh, 
I guess the first obvious thing is to is to ask the question. So, what is patriarchy? Yeah. What, Rob? You're a guy. <laughs> well, no, but I, you're a I Renaissance wanted, man. Too. All right, but I wanted you to define it. So that was what I was going to ask: was what the definition of it was. Give uh, it a go. What do you think? Well, I, I, you know, generally it. I mean, that one's a hard one for me. I, I mean, I'll, I'll 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 give in on that. That I mean, generally for patriarchy is, it's how society is structured, how we structure, you know, our our conditions, right? And so you've got if you're upsetting things, you know, with the male and the female roles. You know that, and that's what you're hearing is you know you, oh this yeah. patriarchy we're we're resetting the way that we we see this. But give me the definition, okay? I, I'm I'm off into the the weeds okay. on this one. I think. Yeah, I, I like what Rob said. Okay. I'm, yeah. So so I want to start with to give the definition of patriarchy is to realize that it is a form of a dominance hierarchy. And dominance hierarchies are found in all social animal groups. Uh, I think the best example, uh, during this drought here in Texas, have y'all been watching deer in your yard or have that? No, yeah. you know, I've been down here a heck of a lot of the time. I don't have deer coming downtown <laughs> that often. But I, uh, <laughs> I see deer. Yep. Yeah. Well, I do. I, it's, I have a convenient area to watch almost on a daily basis the deer herds come through. And they are separate groups. You, over time, can start identifying them. And that's what a Norwegian scientist did about 100 years ago, only with chickens. He observed, you know, groups of chickens, not as groups, but as individuals. And he is the one uh, that actually came up with the term pecking order. And so now we call pecking order dominance hierarchy. Cool. And he was watching chickens. I'm watching deer and seeing the same thing, where there's a dominant buck that's always the last one to come out of hiding. I think the, the... the dominant doe, and there's always one in this group or this particular herd or herds, and it's usually the eldest and the most experienced, and her job is to take care of, bring along all of the fawns and the yearlings and the other female does in that particular society, Hmm. that deer. She's, um, there are other bucks that come along, but she is in charge until the male dominant buck shows up. She will take care of that herd by various ways. You've seen deer, Becky, I know you've talked about stomp, mm-hmm. and that sound of stomping can carry miles underground, hmm. and so it's a warning for the herd. Also makes snorts and that. The snorts are, are one of the ones that I've learned that you can confuse when you come up on a deer herd. If you do that snort, that... <laughs> And it'll confuse them. They get and because they're used to hearing that as a warning sign to boat to themselves, yeah. but they don't know what to make of me because I just made that sound like I was yeah. a deer. It's yeah. kind of funny. I, yeah. yeah, they'll recognize it. And, hmm. But then when it's a little more aggressive or threatening behavior, where they really need to knock a member of another herd that's trying to come into say the fill their territory or the food source, they'll rise up on their hand, hind legs and tap and. They, they never kill anyone or do harm, but that's, that's kind of what you witness. And that's uh, an example of a dominance hier- hierarchy behavior in deer. 
chickens do something very similar, but these form naturally, and it's when the mem members of this social group or animal group, they interact, they create ranking systems. Now, what I have not researched to see if, if there's a lot of research on how do they decide. I think that would be a hard <laughs> thing to do. I don't think they do, you know, what is it, paper, rock? <laughs> rock, paper, scissors. But again, the, the female dominant deer is, is always the eldest and most experienced. That's, and I think the buck tends to be the most aggressive and, and biggest muscular. So that's a, a type, and again, all social animals form dominance hierarchies. So um, I guess the dominance part, when you talk about dominance, what the behaviors of dominance are is what I mentioned. They can use intimidation threats like up on their hind legs in deer. Uh, but again, and, uh, they don't kill each other, and that's something for us to... How much of that do you think, you know, you've talked on the show many times over about genetics and how, you know, genetics is, is doesn't choose, right? You know, I, I guess it's not, it's, let me go back on that. Is that how much of this role of getting these genes passed along, the dominant genes, they get passed along, right? There, the, in terms of genetics and in, in dominance hierarchy, there's not a lot of research on that. Like they kill the dominant and try to see what kind of, or they wouldn't yeah. kill it, but take a, a DNA sample. I've not read to that depth. And, and I like these questions and I'll note them and I will go and, and check. <laughs> Genetics is going to come in and play a role in violence and aggression. But in terms of how they rank and create their hierarchy, like hmm. who's the dominant male, you know, I'm not sure. Well, it's just survival of the fittest. It and is. that, you know, certain genes are going to get passed along that are beneficial. So, you know, my thinking is that, okay, having one female that's dominant gets passed along. How does that? Yeah. Well, and it, with survival of the fittest, <laughs> when you bring that in, that's definitely a part of why the social groups form. Because as a group, they're more protective of each other and from other herds that might eat their food, and, you know, the, the competition. And so it's definitely a part of survival. And that gene pool for the dominant group and the dominant buck and the dominant female doe is passed on. But definitely. Now, what, what does this have to do with Barbie in the movie, though? It has to do with... Again, going back to patriarchy, it, patriarchy, what we use, is a human form of dominance hierarchy. We are top-of-the-ladder animals, and we live in social groups, and so the research on these animals in dominance hierarchy is relevant to getting down to the real crux of uh, patriarchy when you start talking about the bad side. You know, we've talked about survival of the fittest, but and we'll get there. So so the idea about in humans, where did that come from? And, and Rob, you're starting talking about genetics, so I'll be a little more specific about humans. Humans are in this are one of three species that evolved together about six to seven million years ago. You know what the other two groups of animals that have about 98.8% of the same DNA are? Chimpanzees. Chimps and bonobos. Bonobos, yes. So those are 
three species that, that look alike and in many ways behave alike. They have, as I said, 98.8% of the same genetic makeup. But you, you have to then wonder, and here's a question, why would they look alike and have similar behavior? Humans are more in terms of dominance hierarchies like chimps than bonobos. So that it's basically that when you start talking about how genes are expressed, I'm going to use, since we're on radio, uh, the analogy of a radio. Like you can turn up the volume, you can turn down the volume. And very simply, genes are like that. You can turn up the volume or by different genetic act activities, I'll say, that genes can turn off other genes and turn them on. They can also impact the volume of chemicals, hormones, etc., that are produced. So you can have the same gene sequences or the genes as I just said chimps and humans and bonobos do, uh, but they don't, there, there can be thousands of variations on how the brain functions and how that human is unique to chimps and bonobos by the way the, the, the genes actually interact with one another. Mm -hmm. Is that, yep. that okay? Yep. All right. So I've been saying that uh, humans are more like chimps than bonobos, although they're all three evolved from the same uh, ancestor six to seven million years ago. But what's really neat about bonobos, they're often called like pygmy chimpanzees. You don't really hear much about them. It's probably not until the 1990s that a researcher started caring about bonobos as opposed to chimpanzees where most research is done. And, and they discovered something very amazing. And that is chimpanzees, their hierarchical dominance is male dominated and they're violent. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. a violent social network that chimpanzees are. However, bonobos have a matriarchal really? system. What? And in fact, all bonobos, male or female, are bisexual. They will have sex with same sex or uh, hmm. homosexual, heterosexual sex. Uh, and another very highly unique thing about bonobos and the female matriarch, she develops strong relationships even with unrelated other bonobos. And if you think about humans, often relationships, especially when you're competing, women aren't always that supportive of each other. There's a lot of research that sometimes, like in an office, and when there's highly competitive nature, it's not, well, I'm a female, you're a female, let's lock arms and work together. There's a lot of negative interactions. More so than male yeah, to male there, mm -hmm. Most of the research, a lot of male women have male mentors and you know that support them up the ladder. Now, what's their motivation? I'm not sure, but not going to go into that. Okay, uh, right. that's another another that's perhaps all that study. There, yeah, yeah. So it, it's really interesting about the chips, chimps, and the bonobos, but uh, and so, the differences again in expression is is really the way that the amount of these hormones like dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine, how much they get that is produced and sequencing it. So.
So what we're basically finding out that these uh, these animals are very, very similar genetically, but their brains are really, the chemicals and the, the structure of the brains are similar. However, humans definitely have a larger brain, a, a prefrontal uh, cortex that's unique to these other animals that give us capabilities, used or unused, um, that chimpanzees and certainly bonobos don't have. So that kind of explains that. Um, I, I really thought bonobos were a very interesting kind of segue <laughs> all of this. So I think it's time for us to take a, a break. I hope you'll join us in a few minutes. And you are listening to Human Interest on KCSM.org, True Community Radio, San Marcos, Texas, 104.1 LPFM. And we'll be right back with you. Just as a reminder, the views expressed on this show are those of the hosts, the guests, and not necessarily those of KZSM or SMTXCRA, our governing board. Be right back with you. Do you love listening to great music? Are you interested in topics that can blow your mind? Do you like having a good time when listening to the radio? If so, then listen to Into the Gray, Friday mornings, 10 till noon. Into the Gray is a public interest radio program we can all enjoy. That's Into the Gray, Friday mornings, 10 a.m. until noon on kzsm.org in San Marcos, Texas. Hello there, I'm Salwa Khan. On the next Mothering Earth, having access to land on which to grow your own food is a rarity for people in marginalized black and brown communities. But meet Larry Franklin, who aims to change that. Mothering Earth is your source for sustainable living news. And it's on KZSM, True Community Radio, 11 a.m. on the second and fourth Tuesdays. Hazeinform.com is your gateway to information that you need about emergencies here in Hayes County. If you go to their website, that is Hazeinform.com, you will find all sorts of information from current alerts, upcoming events, and talking about safety here in our community. That is Hazeinformed.com. That is your connection, along with KZSM, LP, FM, 104.1. We are here to help in emergencies in the community. Go to hazeinformed.com to find out how you can be prepared. Well, welcome back. Thank you um, for joining us, if, if you did join us. <laughs> Okay, well, we just ended. Or the- staying with us, okay? Thank you for staying with us. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've got a lot to learn about radio. <laughs> All right, so we ended the, the first uh, session talking about uh, patriarchy being a form of dominance hierarchy that you find in all social animal groups. And Rob alluded to it at the beginning when he was giving a, a, a lovely feel for what patriarchy is by using the term male and female because patriarchy, human, animal dominance, is uh, based on sex and gender and want to be sure that we're, we're clear on the difference. Go over it. Okay. <laughs> I bet you could 
Okay, so when you talk it's about your show, go ahead. <laughs> okay, when you're talking about sex, you're really talking about biological and physiological characteristics unique to males and females, and you use the term male and female based on their again reproductive organs, uh, hormones. Uh, on all those, uh, again, physiological, biological, and uh, uh, characteristics. When you're talking about gender, you're talking using the term women and men. And you're talking about societal, cultural norms and the expectations for behavior, the housewife, the caregiver. Those kind of adjectives go to uh, gender conversations. Men, women, sexually, you're talking... Male, female. That's good. Well, I mean, Thank you, you. You, you think about it. It's You can tell, you know, you're a woman. You can't do that. Well, women can weld. Women can do these roles that we think of for men. Now, men cannot have babies. Okay, you right. know, we're, we're not at that point yet, at least. <laughs> well, Rob, that made me just think about a, a quote that I read, and I, I think I shared earlier with Becky, and it was from Gloria Steinem. <laughs> and and she's quoted as saying, if the job doesn't require a penis, then I want it. <laughs> so I, I think that kind of helps us understand sex and gender roles. She said another thing that I always liked. Um, I don't think I mentioned this to you, Mary, but at one point she was asked why she had never married because she she didn't marry until late, late, late in life. But her answer was, well, I can't mate in captivity. Huh? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I like that <laughs> at a certain point. That, yep, was, that, was, absolutely. that was pretty that, cool to me. <laughs> she, she had a way of just cutting right yep, to it. Yep. Because that's, but I digress. Yep. No, but no, that, that, that's spot on. Yep. That's spot on. All right, so we've, we've kind of getting an idea of a description of uh, patriarchy, what it is, but the history of it in terms, when did patriarchy evolve or become such in human history? Hmm. (laughs) She already told me, so I'm going to stay quiet. Well, I mean, I would think when we became an agrarian society, going back, uh, Mesopotamia, you know, that. But there were, there's still times, it's interesting that as they're doing more and more research, I'm seeing more come out about the change in those roles that they didn't expect, okay, I guess, is is it, that we still, so much of the time, are... Uh, archaeology has been based on men uh, doing the initial research. And so a lot of times that's their, you know, male-centric way of looking at it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's really what what you look at. And again, we're, we're talking so general and surface superficial in this. But the easiest way, I think, for one to conceptualize the history is to understand that Social groups form, they, they take on jobs and positions. But when things uh, drastically change and relate because of the environment changes uh, or something significant changes within the group, then the roles have to shift. And that's what happened with the patriarchy and, and really the history. It, most people can look into Mesopotamia, Egypt, and slavery and trying to get more laborers and 
that issue, but primarily let's just think about it as happening that prehistorically uh, there was probably an egalitarian group because it was survival mode. It was hunter-gatherer. There wasn't uh, excess or a sur- surplus of anything. So everyone had to pitch in and do jobs. And uh, to Rob's point about archaeology, they're finding now uh, bones of women with their favorite bow buried. And they're finding that women just weren't stay home in the cave and mind the fire and, and the, the children. <laughs> but they also had to probably take those children out and help again prehistorically, uh, survival mode, everyone needed to do everything. But well, I, was, I was reading last night uh, in uh, Israel, out on this lonely place in between nowhere out there, they found uh, a burial. And it was of uh, a woman that was a follower along with uh, Alexander the Great's. With and they were talking about you know back in this time that she was buried with uh, a bronze mirror and she was cremated and she had uh, the burial had some uh, value to it I guess yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to think of the word but yeah. it was just interesting though that you know, now that she a lot of times that I think they would have just thought of her as a camp follower but now in this way they were saying no she had she was probably along with one of the uh, courtesans uh, mm-hmm. you know from the uh, uh, you know yeah. from the top of the uh, uh, socioeconomic chain there well I, I and I think what what you're also saying is that because of who has done the research, whether it's with bonobos or right. the archaeologist or medicine, most have been men. And so you, 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 you have a, men have a perspective and I, a bias. So right, do women. we've got a bias. Everyone has bias. Everyone does, and you know you you have to admit that, and you have to realize that. Now that's part of the first part of it is understanding and admitting that you can, you know, then you can look at things uh, from a different perspective. Yeah. Part of change, yep. Yeah. Well, so so most of the research can take it back and, and speculate, and with findings and various uh, discovery discoveries, find out again that the change really probably happened around the Pleistocene uh, period, which was well the late Pleistocene, so maybe six to twelve thousand years ago. There was a significant change in the lifestyles, and that is it went from hunter-gatherer to uh, agriculture, to growing crops, domesticating animals. The end of the Ice Age. It was. So what you've got now is a different structure and a different needs because domesticated animals needed people to herd and care. Agriculture, much more labor, you know, stay in one site. Staying in one site was big. But that then ushered in... um, I guess a militarization of militarization of of the the people. Men were now with a surplus and being stronger and etc. Could be the ones that would go out and or protect their herds or protect uh, their or do more of the labor in the fields. Not all of it. Or they or rob or go now since groups were staying in one place in situ they would robbing and uh, terrorizing but they would 
I think that's a period where you really started seeing uh, armies, groups forming, uh, uh, raiding, and often they would take women because women were the producers of the labor, children, and them themselves. So hmm. life changed with agriculture, with the growth of agriculture and domestication of animals. And so that really started ushering in patriarchal, uh, male-dominated uh, structure in the societies. So the, you know, something changed and, and that was the big change. So if we have a background on what patriarchy is, it's a dominance hierarchy, that it changed over time from egalitarian to a, a more militarial uh, structure. Um, the question then is, would how would that lead to aggression? Why, well, I explained a little bit, but violence to the members of your society to your group. In other words, what, what would cause, I'll just say it, what would cause males to do violence to other members of the group? They're more like chimpanzees than bonobos. <laughs> the succession of the genes. You're, you want your genes to be dominant, okay? So you are going to take out all of the competition that you may have. Hmm. Resources. You want to be able to keep those resources. That's a lot of this is that it was that going for more resources. And keep in mind, too, that uh, the more uh, protein you had, the more meat that you were able to have, the more horses, the more you were able you know, to go out and to get these resources and, and bring them in, then you had higher intelligence. Your, your offspring had a better chance. Cool. <laughs> and again, when when you start looking at that, that's uh, making a uh, looking at an adult that goes and makes these decisions and works out. But for aggression to really become dominant in a society, uh, not only aggression but violence and violence toward particular members, weaker men, certainly women and and children. <clears throat> Most of the research will say, again, that there are forces pushing this, but for it to become a part of generation after generation after generation, most research says it's really a 50-50 proposition. 50% 50 of this behavior is becomes inculcated into the group through social, cultural, uh, mm -hmm. behavioral, Activities and it really starts. Let's just start. <clears throat> excuse me, with the children watching this behavior. The first thing about children, probably within the first five years of their life, uh, they start showing aggressive. And those of you that have had children, maybe in the first, I don't know, six to ten months up to several years old, started seeing behavior like biting, pushing, pinching aggressive behavior. And that's fairly common in, in uh, the higher animals, certainly humans. But it usually uh, ceases or starts uh, becoming much less common after five years of age. 
<clears throat> excuse me. And if it doesn't, if that doesn't change, then there's probably going to be effects of that. Something's going on within that child. Normally it would cease or decrease and they take on more pro-social behaviors. That's the norm. But some children um, never grow out of that. It becomes more severe, more pervasive. You see your bullying and other things and if you, uh, psychologists and sociologists that have followed children like that through you know, decades find that their adult life is is usually um, highly diminished in antisocial behavior and uh, uh, less successful in society. So it starts early, but that's uh, so you and you're what some of this that you're watching. It's. If. It's modeling. It's tra it becomes it, tradition. Like it's 50, learning. Fifty percent would be tradition, behavior passed down and down. Normalization it's, within the society. Yeah. You know. It, so it's, what is the other fifty percent? Genetic. Yeah. There you are. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so basically, again, especially the kids. I I want to be very more detailed about the kids five plus. Usually, they're in an environment in which there is, uh, it could be physical abuse, psychological abuse to them, or they're witnessing abuse of their parents, their mother, um, sexual abuse of them. And so these, these people, that, these children that are in that kind of environment tend to start, we start seeing these behaviors as adults. These are the people in the patriarchy, but the males that we start seeing as violent. These are the ones that are tend to be abusive women, uh, uh, especially. Not So it's not all men. It's not all males. It's, again, this group. And the second part to this group <laughs> is genetic, and we'll talk about that when we come back. And you are listening to Human Interest here on KCSM.org, True Community Radio. The views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, the guests, and not necessarily those of KCSM or SMTXCRA. We're going to be right back with you. Texas Preparatory School San Marcos invites all adults from the community for Walk With Us. Walk With Us is a twice-weekly opportunity for parents, teachers, and San Marcos community members to enjoy the benefits of walking together, engaging in conversations, building meaningful relationships, and strengthening the bonds that make San Marcos such a special place to live. Parents with children attending Texas Preparatory School can trust that their kids will be in capable hands while they enjoy the walk. To walk with us, please join us at 4 p.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays on our San Marcos campus, located at 400 Euland Road. Texas Preparatory School San Marcos is committed to its mission of enriching lives and empowering its community members. Walk With Us is an embodiment of this commitment. How many roads must a man walk down before they call him a man? Listen, speak, and learn from the many different voices of our diverse community. Join us from 7 to 8.30 p.m. on the second Thursday of each month for Voices at the Table. 
This free series features guest speakers from different cultural groups in our community with the aim of building awareness and understanding of different perspectives and experiences. You'll hear from racial and ethnic groups, religious and spiritual groups, LGBTQIA, and other marginalized populations. Voices at the Table is brought to you by the San Marcos Unitarian Universalist Fellowship and meets at First Christian Church, 3105 Ranch Road 12 in San Marcos. Bring your questions and engage in lively dialogue. We'll see you there. We uh, left before the second uh, break and we were talking about the influences. And there, there are basically five types of childhood trauma that impact their adult lives in terms of antisocial behaviors and violence. Uh, just a whole negative uh, bag full of deficits in their lives. And those five uh, traumas are, are basically witnessing violence, physical neglect, emotional abuse, physical abuse, and sexual abuse. And uh, this is, uh, again, pretty well-founded in terms of how it spawns a lot of abuse in their lives, uh, not only as a child, but abuse as they abuse others. Uh, we left then talking about that there's about 50%, about half of the, the behavior that we're talking about is socialized, and the other half is genetics. But you might anticipate that I'm going to talk about the male hormone, the primary male hormone, testosterone, but I'm not. Most research says that the amount of testosterone a, a, a male has is not indicative of abuse or violence or aggressiveness. And in some cases, some of it, and there's something about in human dominance hierarchies, you can dominate by threat and intimidation. But there's also a form of dominance that's now being looked at called prestige. And it's behavior on the part of the male, or male dominance we're talking about, that, that acts to the benefit of others. And that's unique in humans. Uh, at least we think it is. Maybe another, who knows about whales and dolphins. We're, we're going to learn more about those, those guys soon. But, but it's unique as far as we know now that, that you can gain dominance besides through violence, through prestige. And I think we're seeing that in, in many people. Unfortunately, we see more in some of our elected officials. And right, I was going to say, in politics. And you know, politics, yeah. And, you know, whether that is elected or whether that is, there's a hierarchy in our social networks that we have, whether it is a church, whether it is uh, city hall, whether it is schools, you know, whatever it may be. And in our country, wealth is a way yeah. for yeah. prestige, that if you're rich, yeah. You know, that well, you seem, I, you I know, I'm, I'm thinking back to, you know, one of the things as a male is that, yeah, it was in the past. It is always the women went for the bad boy. Right. You know, the, the you know, that was one of the things was that, you know, if you were the bad boy around, you know, whether you were the jock, whether you were the the guy that, you know, extolled all this, you know, those kind of things. That was generally where you uh, 
you know, the women would go. And and then, you know, we got into the geek movies where, no, we all could, you know, and you had the rise of the, uh, uh, you know, the the rise of the wealth that came along here that's Mm -hmm. also... It's part of what women learn by watching how their mothers take the relationship with the father or the male dominant in their family is that you learn to either get along, you know, and, and be quiet or hide or do something or um, be what, anyway, I think we got, but I, I'm, I, I'm taking you off a different path, but that's, yeah. I, I think, yeah, yeah, it kind of goes a little bit with that. Okay, so <laughs> if it's not testosterone, then, then I think the good question is, what is one of the main causes? And it's a gene. And it's a it's called mon, monoamine oxidases, and its acronym is MOAO. But and I'm saying that for a reason in a moment. But it's a gene that's found in the nerve cells in the brain, mm-hmm. and the chimps have it, humans have it, bonanos have it. Um, but it it modifies if it if it works normally, then everything is good. You'll probably not be a violent person, male or female. But it's more active in males because this gene is more hereditable by men than women, even though it's on the X chromosome. But the the thing about this is if it mutates, and it can mutate pretty easily through a process called methylation, and I'm saying that for a reason to be known in a moment, but it mutates it and it makes it allows that gene to malfunction so you you get a large amount of dopamine serotonin and norepinephrine being produced by your body in the brain um, because that particular gene is to control the amount you have and it if it's malfunctioning and those systems the serotonin system the dopamine system all of that the the uh, norepinephrine, all that, that runs, facilitates that fight and flight reaction that you have. So now you've got a bunch of that going, pumping in your body. Serotonin is more moods, calm you out, that, and you don't have that, or actually it heightens that mood effect. And dopamine is more um, control of emotion, uh, Anyway, those three systems are modified if that gene malfunctions, if it mutates. So, uh, so, well, I guess that really explains that particular, that one gene that's found in every nerve cell, in the mitochondria within the nerve cells in your brain, can be passed down from male to male and it is more hereditable by males. So it kind of, it does help explain this male dominance toward violence and aggressive behavior, antisocial behavior, because th- this uh, modification of the production of those particular neurotransmitters. Now, the reason I wanted to say the term methylization and the, say, MOA is because I just, I don't know what happened, but when I was doing a search engine, I popped on Amazon and I put in the gene, M-A-O-A, just because I thought I was on Google. And what popped up was this, and it was 
totally astounding to me and, and actually shocking. For $12.95, you go to Amazon, you can purchase a ceramic cup inscribed with genetically one bad MTHFR, <laughs> which we can't say on the air. It, there's another ceramic cup. I didn't get the price. Methylation makes me happy. Wow. And then a hoodie that says, Gene the man, the myth, and the legend. And it's all referencing... As in J-E-N-E, -E, right? <laughs> and Okay, so uh, uh, Gene, if you're listening in, we're going to get you that one for Christmas, okay? <laughs> wow. That's good. Okay. Gene Randall, our this, uh, this engineer just, for the show. <laughs> this just tells me everything is monetized. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I was shocked. Good heavens. I thought, who would want to wear, especially the, you know, the one about the... Well, anyway, so at least someone knows their genetics. Yeah. You know, I yeah. kind of tried to find an upside on that. But <laughs> Okay, so, so what we're saying is that violence against women by their male partners, and it doesn't matter married or not, it it functions to sustain the the male patriarchy. You know, it's obvious. It, it creates that hierarchy. And it also maintains women in a position of subordination when it's at, at its most violent. Uh, probably the most ubiquitous form of violence against women is uh, um, sexual abuse. I'm not going to say rape, but sexual abuse. It's the most ubiquitous form uh, in the world. In fact, uh, the World Health Organization in 19 2019 stated that one in three women in the world is subjected to some form of sexual physical abuse. In the United States, the number of families where domestic violence is present is estimated to be around 10 million. And for, uh, for many women, their home is the most unsafe place to be. Hmm. So when one man abuses or beats his wife, you know, that's, that's interpersonal violence. But when a million men beat their wives, their, the woman in their household, it's structural violence. It's, it's something that society must be perpetuating, allowing to happen, tolerating. And I think that's the bottom line since 50% is cultural. And the, the part that's genetic, it's exacerbated by a child watching abuse and witnessing violence and being he or herself sexually abused. So patriarchy, if you start from Barbie and you go down to the reality, which we're just barely touching on, the, the stats and all that, it's something we can do something about. And Becky, uh, one thing, a friend of ours, uh, Stephanie, which I hadn't read, I knew about the Catholic synod that's going on in uh, the Vatican City, that one of the things that, that they are doing, and I'd like to read it, it was something um, that Pope Francis, uh, their bishops from around the world have come and to discuss what, it, what the article said, hot button issues, including whether priests should be allowed to get married, if divorced and remarried Catholics should receive communion, whether women should be allowed to become deacons, 
and how the church will handle excuse me handle matters around the LGBTQ community. That is being discussed today in Vatican City by the Catholic Church. Things may be a changing. What do you think, Becky? I think it's wonderful. I think it's fantastic that that's going on. And um, I brought to Mary's attention uh, something I read in the New York Times this week on uh, something called fem feminist foreign policy. And this is a concept, and I'm just barely getting to know about it, but it was only uh, first uh, promoted in 2014, and it is a, um, it is a, a movement um, that, it, that is all about um, policy adopted by a government. So it's policies and practices of a state to promote gender equality. And the policy, it has to be adopted by a state. Like, and I, I think New Zealand, when there was a woman prime minister mm -hmm. of New Zealand, mm -hmm. that they had a feminist foreign policy and it all works about rights, resources, and representation for uh, women and, and men. But it, it really is something new. Uh, and there's something like this article said, something like 16 countries, primarily Nordic countries, but then also spreading to Latin American countries uh, are adopting more something called this feminist foreign policy. And so I, I'm just now beginning to know about it, but um, I think it, it's a positive thing. It's something that we can can think, you know, it, we're, we're not just stuck uh, without some very powerful resources. If state governments are going to become, become more, more and more invested in uh, gender equality, then that helps. Now, for our country, the ERA has yet to be uh, ratified. It was first introduced in 1923, um, didn't go too far, was reintroduced in 1971, and Congress adopted it, sent it to the states for ratification, and um, it's yet to be ratified. 38 states have to ratify, and it's complicated right now because some states that are in the 70s ratified, they want to take back the ratification. So this constitutional amendment granting equal rights to women has yet to be achieved. Um, but so it's still on the table. I it's think still it still on the could table. be brought right. back to the Senate to and the, the House. It's well, not to the dead. states. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to the it, states. it's a constitutional amendment. I, I think most likely it's probably dead. I mean, with the, the, the shape that our... Uh, legislative body is in. I, I would probably say that that is not going to make it past. Uh, but uh, uh, it's just it, now, it, have we changed from that point through a lot of our social norms? Have things changed that maybe we don't need that anymore? I don't know. I mean, oh, I'm I not think, saying. Oh, we need know, it. I think well, we need and I'm it. not saying, <laughs> I, you know, but I'm just saying, though, that, you know, there has been 
shifts, but yet the law yeah. is still not, you know, the, the law is not equal. Yeah. And that's what you're saying. That's I, what just, I'm getting at. I just want to remind everyone um, real quick that um, it took, uh, women could not buy real estate until the mid-1970s. Mm-hmm. Women could not get a credit card in their own name until 1974. It took a Supreme Court ruling in 1972 that unmarried women had legal access to birth control. So the 1970s, to me, are not that far away. No. And so, yeah, we need, we need constitutional um, legal authority to to guarantee yeah. that we have I, equal rights. And to, to Rob's point, I, and I think that's a part of the article, is the fear, is that probably in 2015 when this started, this change in the feminist foreign policy, it, it, there's stats on how much progress they made in terms of peace over you know using collaboration instead of competition. And But there's the fear, and the article states, and I'll use it, that... The fear is the elections of so many and so many candidates in these countries that are running that are Trump-styled candidates. Far right. And, yeah. that, and that is frightening. But there was a group just at the, the last UN session, a group of 12 more, I think, foreign ministers got together to, to develop another plan, another group, another agency that could... To work on this feminist politics because it is under threat. It's always gone, and right. and it's not over. And that's one thing, you know. Becky and uh, can work structurally with governments and states and locally. You know, we have some very active people in the uh, in the politics here in in San Marcos. But going back to changing person by person, that's that's a big challenge. But the the good news about that is even though we have this prehistoric history, decades, hundreds of years, and chimpanzee genes or uh, lean you know, tendencies. The one thing that, that makes me more positive is that the brain, we now know and know a lot more about the neuroplasticity of the brain. We can learn, we can forget and re- wire our brains but it takes effort it takes knowledge um and you know these groups are trying to do it but you know they're doing it by policy but you know it's the mothers and the fathers that are you know being watched by their children it's the teachers being watched by their students it's all of us we have to know the harm that we do but that we have the neurological psychological ability to change our mind and therefore our behavior and, that's power and and coming back to barbie that's, <laughs> that's why that movie is so important because in a very um informative fun supportive way it really is educating a lot of young women and men about gender roles and so I, I think information and entertainment when when the message can reach that really general population 
you know, that is a very positive thing. And there is a movement among younger people, men taking on roles of staying home and nurturing and, and the woman going and depending on their career and their ambition. It's, it's becoming a little more egalitarian. So there are role models. I'm, I'm certainly not saying it's not happening to a significant amount. It just needs to be more pervasive and intentional. But I, one point I, I kind of wanted to go back on, though, is you were talking about the ERA started in the 70s. All right, that's 50 years ago. 20s, yeah. I know. Okay, you go back before that to 1920s. That was when women got the right to vote. It took a state like Wyoming to be the first state to actually uh, allow women to vote. And that you had to actually get to pass the uh, uh, as a uh, amendment to the Constitution yeah. to get that right to vote. Right. So, you you know, here we are 50 years later. This generation that I see that walks past the windows here going to school, right? Where are they going to be when they are our age 50 years later? You know, and what is the, and, and you know, what are we going to see? And is Barbie going to be part of that? So, um, <laughs> and yeah. I am keeping an eye on the time. We've got about three, four more minutes. So, Well, I, I, th- I think the... I just think um, I think there's hope. I think there's a lot of negativity going on. Um, and, and again, we didn't mention churches, mm-hmm. but some churches, you know, they're especially in the Christian religion, talk, you know, rely on Timothy and Titus to to put women in their subordinate roles. And I, I think there's a lot of thought that ought to be done. But I'm excited because the Catholic Church is rethinking the role and that they, if they can do something in any one of those areas, take a step forward, I think, I think that's going to be a huge leap for mankind. But you have a lot of conservative Catholics that you that yeah. are there as well that are going to be pushing back a lot of the older, oh, yeah. you know, the the oldish, older Polish communities, for instance, you know, uh, uh, South American, you know, this is the, you know, there that are not in the progressive areas that are going to push back on this as well. well it was hard for, for them to sure. stop using Latin and, you know, changes. Right. Di- we I was know thinking about difficult, that. But yeah. it's not impossible. But I do want, before our time is up, to mention uh, our next program is uh, Thursday, November the 2nd. We do human interest every month. And our guest is going to be Dr. Rebecca Montgomery. She's a a former professor of history at Texas State University. And she's written several books on one of the most, I think, fascinating and, and yet overlooked educators of the progressive era. And this is Celeste Parrish. And and what... Uh, Rebecca uh, points out is that what Parrish knew was that equality was central to woman's social and economic process progress and had no patience and she Celeste had no patience with men who attempted to confine women to subordinate roles so this conversation will be continued in November with a special look at, at a, an outstanding woman Celeste Parrish and our guest uh, Dr. Rebecca Montgomery 
Okay. And I did want to say a big thank you to uh, everyone listening out there, uh, folks out near El Paso, here in San Marcos, some folks listening across the country, somewhere on T-Mobile. I, I just don't ask me how I know. But uh, <laughs> thanks for tuning in this afternoon. And uh, we are glad that you are making uh, KCSM part of your day listening here and that uh, we encourage folks like Marianne and Becky to come in and to widen your knowledge to entertain enlighten and engage the community so thank you very much for your time doing this every month okay thank you rob all Thanks, right Becky. and we will thank you all very much we'll be back with you uh, next month here you have been listening to uh human interest on kcsm.org true community radio